Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Thank you for spending time with us this morning. It is such an honor and a privilege to be back with you. Um, we got back Thursday evening from vacation, and it was an amazing time. Uh, we, we've been, my wife and I have been up to the UP uh, before a few times. We've been to the Pictured Rocks area, and it's such a gorgeous place. And uh, our kids hadn't been able to go with us before, so we decided to make a family trip of it. And um, if I had been uh, more on my feet, I would have brought a picture uh, about this situation with uh, me this morning. But our, our, our whole vacation almost really stunk. Um, because when we got to Mackinac City and got checked into our hotel that night, my wife and I decided to just take a little walk um, outside our hotel, kids were, you know, getting settled down, so we go outside and we go for a walk, and on our way back, right dead in front of us on the sidewalk is a skunk, uh, like, and it, like, looks up at us with that look, and I'm just like, this is about to go down, and this is just, this is not going to be good, so I'm like, let's back away, back away, and so we start backing up, and it ignores us, and it goes off, and we're like, okay, and uh, so we go down the, the sidewalk, and then around the corner, there's another skunk, and, uh, and so we, 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 you know, appropriately evade the, the area, and, uh, and then we were able to help a couple people going to their vehicle avoid being sprayed, and so we made it in safely, thank goodness, uh, praise the Lord, but the next morning we did smell a little skunky smell outside, so somebody was quite unlucky, wasn't as blessed as we were, they probably didn't put their tithe in the Sunday before, I don't know, uh, but uh, that is, uh, that's the way of things, but uh, it was a great, great to be back with you. I'm excited about this message. I love the Word of God. I love it. It is, I, I don't know, I, I probably, it, when it comes to being exciting or boring to be around, for most people, I'm probably the most boring person in the world because the only thing that really grabs my heart and my attention is the Word. You know, I, I, I will study it, I will spend time, I'll watch documentaries about, you know, the archaeological finds of the Word of God, things that bring the Bible to life. I could care less who's playing this weekend in any kind of sport. It doesn't matter if it's state or Michigan, whoever wins, yay. You know, you know that's just not, that doesn't drive me. I don't care what season it is or who got what draft pick or anything like that. But tell me something I didn't know about God's Word and you have my full and undivided attention. I love the Word of God. It is life. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I think one of the things that we're seeing in our world today is we're seeing the symptom of a world, of a culture that doesn't have a hunger or a taste for the Word of God. Even in the body of Christ, we have, we have, we have people who come faithfully, but they never open the Word of God on their own. They, they wait for the pastor to tell them what it means. And God has a meal for you that's prepared. It never goes bad. It never sours. It never gets moldy. His meal is a spiritual meal that it's always ready, always on time, always perfect, and ready to transform your life anytime you want it. And it's in the Word of God. And so I love this study that we're doing. My, my kids are giving me a hard time about it because they're like, we're going through the whole Bible. And I'm like, 
you have until you die. What do you have to do? You know, we're going to get through it all at some point. Let might as well be now. You know, so, and we're getting, we're going through the scripture to really rediscover this God, this Savior that we have. To see what he's been doing, not just to read stories and think, oh, that was nice, but to gain fresh revelation of this God and what he's been trying to communicate, how he's been trying to draw our hearts in. And, and so we're here in the 10th week. Last week, we finished the book of Genesis with Joseph. Today, we're beginning to start going through the next book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And where Exodus begins is where Genesis leaves off. Genesis ends with Joseph and his family coming into Egypt and, and beginning to, to live out the rest of their days. Exodus begins with the death of Joseph and what transpires as they enter in the 400 years of slavery in, in this narrative, in this timeline, in the history of the world and in the nation of Israel. And, and as I was studying this, I began to just ask some questions. Did you ever wonder how the books of the Bible got their name? Have you ever even thought about that? Like, we take it for granted. You open it up to the index at the beginning. There's 66 books. They're all in order. Most people buy the Bibles with the tabs in it so they don't have to remember where the book is. They can just find the tab and, and flip right there. You know, it really put an end to sword drills because now you could cheat, you know, when you were a kid in Sunday school. But the Bible, especially the Old Testament, was not originally written in English. It was written in the Hebrew languages, the Semitic languages. And so I began to ask this question. It's like, how did these books get their name? And, and so I began to do a little study, and I began to discover, and I discovered that really these books have different names. If you go back to the original language, they were written in Hebrew, so they have Hebrew names. The first five books of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is separated into groups, but the first five books are called the Torah or the Pentateuch, and they are the five books of Moses. They're attributed to Mosaic authorship. And the Hebrews have names for these books as opposed to our English names. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But they have different names. Let's go ahead and throw that slide up there, and I'll show you the names for, I guess I'm on the wrong side, for the names for these, these books. So Genesis, and I don't know how to pronounce these, so I'm going to act like I do and, and sound cool, but uh, if you backtrack me on how to pronounce these, I'll probably sound like an idiot, so please don't do that. But uh, Genesis is Breshit, Exodus is Shemot, Leviticus, Vayakra, or Vayakra, uh, Numbers is Bamidbar, and Deuteronomy is Devarim. These are the Hebrew names for the Old Testament and, and uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. And I love just what this is revealing to us and, and what God is doing, even in the names of the books of the Bible. Because as we've been seeing over the course of this study, names have meaning. There's a meaning, there's a purpose to these names. And so the book of Genesis, Breshit, go to the next one. Breshit means in the beginning. When you think of Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So they got the name from the first phrase, the first sentence in the book of Genesis. In the beginning. Shemot, or Exodus, is the book, the names. It means the names. Uh, Leviticus, it actually means, and he called. So it, it doesn't... It's not Leviticus in Hebrew. It's actually the word that means, and he called. Bamidbar, or, or numbers, means in the desert. And Davarim, 
means the words. So each of these have their own individual uh, meaning. And what I love here is it isn't just that they have their own meaning, but it's revealing a history. It's revealing a theme. It's revealing to us just in the names of the books what God was going to do or what God was doing from the onset of this revelation. In other words, when you read the definitions of these books in order, what you read was in the beginning the names he called in the desert and he gave the words. In the beginning, he called the names. The names. Who are the names? The names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The book of Genesis is riddled with the names of God, revelations of who he is, that he's the El Elyon, the God Most High. There are many names of God in the book of Genesis. In Throughout the story of Genesis, we also read about the names of those he called out to be his own special people. And so the book of Exodus follows that timeline, follows that group of people, the names of those who would be called by his ultimate name, the nation of Israel. It says, in the beginning, the names he called, where did he call them? He called them in the desert, out of Egypt, through the desert, and into the promised land. And what did he give them when he took them into the desert when he called them? He gave them the law. He gave them the revelation of himself, the very words of God that instituted the covenant with the people of Israel. That just blows me away. That in the very names of the books, you see what God is going to do and what God is doing. So cool. In the beginning... Now, the book Exodus, or the book The Names, it, it's quite interesting, and, and this is one of the, the reasons why you can't just skim the book and just read uh, and, and just glance through the stories and, and think you're going to glean everything that there is, because I believe the Bible, the whole Bible, is inspired by God. Every story matters. Every word in every story matters. God intended everything specifically as he wrote it through these human authors to tell us and give us revelation of himself. And what I want to zero in on, and in this book, the names, right where it picks up, is what it reads in Exodus 1, 1 through 4. Because the book, the names, starts off by giving us some names. Isn't that interesting? So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Here's what it says. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is, Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. So Jacob has 12 sons, and he has these 12 sons through two wives and two concubines. 12 sons, 70 relatives in all when Jacob goes into Egypt while Joseph is there uh, administering, um, being second in command of all of Egypt. And what, is, what was interesting is I began to just seek the Lord and say, God, what do you have to reveal to us today? What is it you want to show us in your word? As I was praying, I really felt led to look up the meaning of these names because doesn't it, isn't it sound like a coincidence that a book called The Names would begin with names? Uh, like that's not random. So I began to look up these names and I began to see a similar 
uh, revelation of what God showed me just looking up the names of the books, that there is revelation of himself, there's meaning to these names, but when you begin to put them together, you begin to see a story unfold, and, and I hope you get as excited about this as me. If not, this is going to be a long message for you. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. But we have, we'll have lots of scripture on the screen. The notes are on the Version Bible app. And I, just, I hope this just encourages you today to see what God is up to, what he's been doing, and who he is. So as we look through these names, there are 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel. And I'll just read through the names quickly and give you their meanings. Number one, Reuben means behold a son. Number two, Simeon means listen or hear with acceptance. Three, Levi means joined or attached, also means crown. Um, number four, Judah means praised. Number five, Issachar means there is recompense, which means to make amends or compensate. Number six, Zebulon means dwelling or habitation. Number seven, Benjamin, the son of the right hand. Number eight, Dan means a judge. Number nine, Nephtali, wrestling or my strife. Number 10, Gad, fortune or fortune has come. 11, Asher means blessed or happy. And number 12, Joseph means jo Jehovah has added. So each one of these names has a correlation to God himself, a revelation of who God is or something to do with um, a, the story that these individuals were born into. But as you begin to take their definitions and read them in order, you can see how themes from the Scripture, truth from Scripture, all throughout the Bible and the Old Testament, begun to tell us another story. For number one, as we look at Reuben, Reuben means what? It means, behold a son. There's a prophecy about a son in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says, for unto us or a child is born, unto us a what? Son is given. A child is born to us, a son is given to us. That's a pretty important son, if he's prophesied and revealed. The name Simeon means listen. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4, the Bible says, Serve the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands and what? Listen to his voice and cling to him. Don't just hear what he's saying. Listen and receive. Cling to him. Listen with acceptance. Number three, Levi means joined or attached. It also refers a crown, the, the hero's crown, the garland that would be given to the victor in sport the, or a hero. In Zechariah 9.9, the Bible says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and what? Victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Here you have a hero who is crowned, who's coming to Israel, a king, a warrior, victorious warrior, who was joined to the nation of Israel, who's attached to the nation of Israel. Number four, Judah means praised. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of what? Praise. No one can measure his greatness. Issachar, number five, means there is recompense. Leviticus 17, 11, in the law, God says this to the nation of Israel. It says, For the life of the body is in its blood. 
I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. In order to compensate for something, something must be exchanged. And here the blood was given in exchange to make the nation of Israel pure, to make them holy, to make them uh, acceptable before the Lord. And of course, we know in Isaiah 53 verse 5 about the son who would be given it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. His blood was given in exchange for our sin. Number six, Zebulon, means dwelling or habitation. In Ezekiel 37, verse 27, God says, I will make my home among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Number seven, Benjamin, son of the right hand. Deuteronomy 4.34, it says, Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong what, church? A strong hand and a powerful arm and terrifying acts. Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. Psalm 138, verse 7 says, Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, come on now, your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. In Daniel 7, 13, and 14, Daniel has a prophecy, a vision of the Son of God. It says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus quotes this in the New Testament just before his crucifixion. It says, he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This king at the right hand of power of God is at the place of power and authority. Number eight, Dan. means a judge. Psalm 9, verse 8 says he will... Judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. Again, in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, this child that is born unto us, a son that is given, there's a government that rests on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. He's a judge. Number nine, Nephtali, wrestling or strife. In order for this kingdom that he's coming to prepare to come in, Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Daniel 12, 1 says, At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, Every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Salvation will come through a time of strife and wrestling conflict. Number 10, Gad means fortune or fortune has come. Genesis 17 verse 8, God says, I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Exodus 29 45 says, Then I will live among the people of Israel and I will be their God, Psalm 16, 5 and 6, 
says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you've given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. Not only did God give them a place to dwell, but God gave him himself. Fortune has truly come because God himself is an immeasurable blessing. Those who have the Lord are rich indeed. Number 11, Asher means happy or blessed. Psalm 146 verse 5 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Happy is he whose God is the Lord. And number 12, Joseph means Jehovah has added. Genesis 26 verse 4, the promise given to Abraham, he says, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It wasn't enough for Israel to inherit the blessings of God. God intended to add every nation of the world into the blessing. Behold, Jehovah has added. Through who? The son who would be given. All the nations of the world. You see, these names are so important, but as you can see, as we're looking at these names, in chronological order, through their definitions, we begin to see the story of how God would be sending a Redeemer, a Savior, to come and bring salvation to all the world. And this is so important, especially for us as the body of Christ, because in the book of Revelation, as we look at the end-time revelation of what the world will be like when this current world comes to an end and the Messiah returns and Jesus sets up the kingdom, we see God makes all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. And out of this new heaven comes the holy city that Jesus has been working on for 2,000 years now, the place he's been preparing for us. And is the, uh, John, the, the prophet, is revealing what this city looks like. He begins to describe everything about the city and talks about the 12 gates in the walls of this new city and the 12 foundation stones. In Revelation 21, 12 through 14, John says this, that the city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the name, somebody say the names. Just want to make sure you're still with me. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the names of these 12 tribes of Israel, they're significant. Not just because they're people that God used, but because their names have a meaning. Their names tell a story. Their names tell us how the gateway to salvation was open to all the world. God called in the beginning, he called in the wilderness the names of the people who he would give his revelation. God opened the way of salvation through the nation of Israel and the gates to God, the gates to his presence come through these names. It's through the nation of Israel that the Messiah was born. Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish person born in the tribe of Judah. So we can see that this is a significant reality for us because even in eternity, these names are remembered as the gateway to glory. Amen? So good. But that's half the verse. Look what it continues to say. It says, there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles and the Lamb. So we have the gates that are named by the 12 tribes of Israel round about the city, but the wall 
that is guarding the city also had 12 foundation stones and on those stones were also names these were the names of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ and we're gonna go through these names as well and see if you can see not only the revelation of who God is but the story that's beginning to unfold in these names there's a list of the apostles in Matthew chapter 10 and it goes in this particular order as we unpack this mystery being revealed in the names so the first name listed is Simon called Peter now again some of these names have multiple names associated with it so if God intended to um, indicate a meaning we need to look at both names associated so Simon was his real name but Jesus then later changed it to Peter the name Simon means listen or hearing and the word Peter means rock so listen and rock John 1 1 the Bible records in the beginning the word already existed the word was with God and the word was God Jesus is the mouthpiece of the Almighty he is also the rock of our salvation Psalm 18 46 the Lord liveth and blessed be my rock let the God of my salvation be exalted the one who is speaking the one who we are to listen to is the one who is the rock of our salvation number two it's Andrew Andrew means manly brave courageous a warrior this is Andrew you know I don't know if he was really tough but uh, this is what his name means Psalm 24 verse 8 says who is this king of glory the Lord strong and mighty the Lord mighty in battle the one the rock the, the one who is to come the word of the Lord is also strong mighty in battle number three James son of Zebedee the name James is similar to Jacob it means to supplant or replace and Zebedee his father's name means God has bestowed so here James the son of Zebedee literally means to replace what God has bestowed it's interesting we also know in Luke 22 verse 20 that Jesus instituted a new covenant to replace the old covenant that God had bestowed in Luke 22 20 says likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you number four it's John John means God is gracious Ephesians 2 8 9 says God saved you by his what beloved his grace his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it is a gift of God salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it God is gracious and he saved us by his amazing grace number five this one's a little more interesting the name Philip means horse loving horse loving I had to do some research on this one because I thought okay God you had me until we got to the horse but but here horse loving it's interesting that in ancient times horses were really used for two reasons to work and to war they were used to to farm and they were as work animals they were also used in battle or in sport in Psalm 20 verse 7 the psalmist writes this some trust in chariots some in horses but I will remember the name of the Lord our God that though some may trust in these powerful majestic animals I will trust in the name of the Lord what's also interesting is that like a horse has two natures we also read that the king who is to come though he would be mighty and strong he'd come riding on a donkey on a donkey's colt 
So his revelation is he's riding on a horse, not a mighty horse, but also a humble horse. In Philippians 2, 6 through 7, Paul writes this, though he was God, meaning Jesus, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his defined privileges. He took the humble position of a what church? A slave and was born as a human being. So this mighty God came the first time and was revealed riding on a work animal, not a war animal. But there is coming a day when that trumpet sounds, the sky be rolled back as a scroll, and the God of the universe, the Savior of our souls, is coming on another animal, a white horse, this time as the warrior king to set up the kingdom, to judge sin and set up the kingdom for all eternity. Number six, Bartholomew. Bartholomew means son of Talmai or son of furrows. A furrow is a trench that is, is uh, dug into farmland so that you can plant seeds and prepare a crop. So this one who is to come is also the son of furrows. Isaiah 43, 19, God says, look, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a what? A pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in dry wasteland. So this God is coming is going to make furrows in the wilderness. He's going to make a pathway. And what is he going to use that for? John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. He's going to build the highway of holiness. He's going to build the pathway to righteousness. He is the one who is coming. Number seven, it's Thomas. Thomas means twin or leader. And is it interesting that Jesus, like an identical twin, they're identical, but yet they are different. They look the same, but they're completely separate individuals. Jesus, in his two comings, is coming for two different purposes. He's an identical leader with two purposes, one coming as the suffering servant, the other as the conquering king. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. He didn't just come, but he's coming again. And he's coming on a mission. Identical leaders, but with two different purposes. Number eight, Matthew. Matthew also had another name. His name was Levi. Matthew, the name Matthew means gift of Yahweh. The word Levi, again, means or means crown, king, hero. So here we have the gift of Yahweh. And what is the gift of Yahweh? It is the king of all kings. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the gift. Number nine, James, son of Alphaeus. Again, the name James is another James means replace, but Alphaeus, his father, that his name means changing. So he's going to replace by changing. And what is he going to replace? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Behold, all things have become new. He's going to replace the old life by changing you into a new creation. Amen. Number 10. Labius or Thaddeus. The word Labius or Labius means a man of heart. 
Thaddeus means large-hearted and courageous. John 15, verse 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. 1 John 4, 18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment, and this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. Who is Christ but the man who's demonstrated perfect love? There is no love like the love of our God who has demonstrated unfailing, unconditional love. His heart is large. And how has he shown courage? Because he went to the cross without fear, without being afraid of what would come and what put him there. It was his great love. Number 11, Simon. Simon the Zealot. Named Simon again means listen. The word zealot means fanatic or fanatically. So here we have a commission, a call to listen fanatically. On the mountain of transfiguration, when Jesus reveals his glory to his disciples, they finally get to see him as he is in the, the glory and splendor. In Matthew 17, verse 5, it says, But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. What's, what's the father say? He says, Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to my son. I'm sure God wasn't just adding that in as an anecdote. It's a command. He's like, listen to this man. Listen fanatically. Jesus in John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Number 12, Judas. Judas was the original disciple. We don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure Judas's name is not going to be on the foundation stones in heaven, but he was one of the original disciples. Uh, Matthias is the one that was chosen to take his place, but even if Judas' name is there, Judas is like Judah, means praise. Matthias means gift of God. Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and tongue confess that he is Lord. He will be praised. Why? Because he is the gift of God, and as the gift of God, he also gives us a gift. John 14.27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled and afraid. This is so amazing to me. As we're looking at these two lists of names, how one is the gate, the other is the foundation. This is the message I believe God is speaking through these names of the apostles. If we were to write this out in paragraph form, it would go something like this. Listen to what the rock of your salvation is about to say. Be brave and courageous. I'm about to supplant or replace what I have bestowed in the past. Former things are fading away and I'm doing something new, for I am gracious. Just as men love horses for service and for war, there's coming a rider who through love will serve to build a kingdom that will triumph over his enemies and whose peace will never end. He'll make a pathway for the seeds of truth to be planted and reap a great harvest of salvation. He'll be a leader with two natures or two comings, the sacrificial servant and the conquering king. He came first to serve, but he'll be back to deliver, holding salvation in his hand. He'll replace what was and bring again something altogether 
altogether new. He'll change you into a new creation if you trust him. His love is like no other, for he faced impossible odds without fear to show you his great love. If you want to be his sheep, listen to his voice. Pursue him with fanatically, with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, for he is worthy of your complete devotion and praise, for he is the gift of heaven, and in him is found abundant life. The names of the apostles, the foundation of our faith. What I love is if you look at both lists, you see the door of faith was opened through the first set of 12, through the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the invitation to accept or receive salvation comes through the names of the apostles. You have the gateway and you have the foundation of our soul. Jesus had a conversation with Peter, and he asked him, who do men say that I am? And Peter looked at Jesus, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter. This is where he changes his name. You are Peter, which means a stone, a rock. He says, but upon this rock, this foundation, will I build my church. What foundation? That I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. The foundation is this truth, that Jesus is the one who was prophesied to come, and in him is found salvation. He is the God of the names. The names tell the story of how he would rescue our souls. And all of that comes through a title and a list of names. Imagine, if you will, what might be revealed in the rest of the book. The Bible is alive. It's powerful. It's mysterious. God is working through every word to capture the very thing, the only thing that only you can give him, and that is your heart. He's calling you in to this great romance, this great mystery. He wants you to give him what only you can give, and when you give him what only you can give, he then gives you what only he can give, and that is shalom, peace, completeness, wholeness, joy, unspeakable joy, unconditional love. He wants to pull you close because the closer you get to him, the closer he gets to be to you. James says, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. God is working through his word. Your father loves you beyond comprehension. And so will you say yes to him today? There's an invitation in the names. He has opened the door. He has dug the trench. He's provided the path and now he's made the invitation. Will you say yes to him today? Will you stop running from him and run to him? Will you surrender your life to his will and his purpose? God wants to do miraculous things through you. He wants to restore broken relationships. He wants to restore estranged spouses and a lost purpose. God wants to do so many things in your life because he loves you and wants good for you. The only thing that's standing between what God wants for your life and what you really need is a decision to say yes to the Lord. And for some, that might be genuinely beginning a relationship with God. Accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Saying, God, I'm not going to lead my life anymore. I'm not going to trust in my own wisdom, my own power, my own strength. I'm going to give my heart fully to Jesus. For some, surrendering your life to the Lord might be giving him just complete autonomy to lead your life as he sees fit. You're going to decide to stop dictating your future, stop dictating your purpose, 
and you're going to seek His will in all you do. You're going to stop trying to control people and control the outcomes for your relationships with, with, with whatever um, attitudes, behaviors, attempts that you've been doing in the past, and you're simply going to trust in the promises of God that if you're faithful to His Word, faithful in His promises, God will be faithful in you. You're going to leave the results up to the Lord. For some, you might need to give up some good things in your life that have become idols to discover the better things that God has planned for you. As long as you hold on to that relationship or that pursuit, that endeavor, that habit, that hobby, that vacation spot, whatever it is, the thing the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, that's going to stand in the way of the very thing God wants to bring about in your life, the purpose for which He's created you for. In the Word, the Word, Jesus, the shepherd, He is speaking. The Father is encouraging you to listen to Him. Are you going to be a sheep that hears His voice and follows? Or are you going to be like the goat that turns away and goes its own way? Think about this, and this is something that just kind of came to me as I was Studying this message is think about this truth, this reality. God, who has everything he could ever want, he's God, he's complete, he needs nothing, right? Everything that we see belongs to the Lord. He created it all. He holds it all together by the word of his command. God, who has everything he needs, he goes to all this trouble, not just to create, but to work in the lives of all these people, to get some broken individuals to write it all down specifically in a way that tells a story to captivate your mind your heart to draw you in this god goes to all this trouble so that you will give your life to him why do you think he would do that if what he wants for you is not better than what you want for yourself why would he do that it's because his way is better god has been romancing you all this time for you to say yes to him. For you to say, yes, God, your way, not my way. Your will be done, not my will. You increase, I decrease. And in this book, the names, we see the invitation to all of us to follow the one who's the savior of our souls. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we begin to pray and invite my wife up to begin just leading us into a song of worship. As we just listen, let the word of God meriting in our heart, there could be various things that the spirit of God is speaking. God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would, I already know you're at work. I already know that you're speaking. I already know that you're, you're encouraging, you're challenging. I know that you're opening revelation into people's hearts and minds. But God, there are things that you're even communicating that I didn't even touch on. But that's okay because you can speak much better than I can. God, I pray for those here today that have yet to truly surrender to the Lord. And Lord, we're in, we're in dark times. There are a lot of voices, a lot of messages. There are a lot of things that are trying to uh, vie for our faith, vie for our trust to pull us away from you rather than submitting to you. And what we need, Lord, we need as a faith community, as a, the church of Jesus Christ, we need believers who will say, God, I give you it all. I hold nothing back. 
so that you can use my name and my story to tell of who you are and to touch and reach the lives of the people I come in contact with and those to come. I believe God, in Revelation it says you have a new name picked out for each one of us. And I believe that new name, coupled with our old name, tells the story of how you redeemed us. How you picked us out of the crowd, out of the millions of people who would reject you. You looked down and said, I want that one. And you came and you, you encountered us with your love in a way that drew our attention to you, God. And I just pray that we would have that revelation today. That the name you've given us is not meaningless, it's on purpose. And when we join our name, our identity to yours, God, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed in our lives. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe it, you thought you did, but there's just... You just know that you know that there's something that's not right in your heart right now as the Spirit is speaking and moving. I just encourage you to pray. Just pray a prayer right where you are. Just say, God, I'm tired of fighting. Today I surrender. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Today I choose you. Today for the rest of my life, I'm going to pursue your heart. I'm going to seek your face and seek your will. God, you have the right to do with my life whatever you want to do. Your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you've been a believer your whole life, but you've not been living the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life, you've not been living on mission, your, your heart isn't for people who don't know God, your heart isn't to, to see the kingdom come and the will be done of the Lord in your area, your family, your community, you've just kind of been doing the Christian thing by coming to church because that's what's been expected and you know that God has so much more for you today you need to surrender and say God I'm, I'm tired of apathy I'm tired for tradition I'm tired of living a mundane Christian life I want to live the life that you gave yours for me to live I'm ready for more. I'm ready, I'm ready to give you it all. I don't care what you have to take. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care what plans you have to change. God, I'm giving you my life because I know you went through all this trouble. You did all of this because what you have for me is far better than what I could dream for myself. You need to surrender and say, God, I surrender to whatever that is. And I'm not going to leave here until I'm different. God, change my heart, change my attitude, change my mind, my desires. Maybe the first thing to change is a love for the Word of God. The duties need to stop and the passionate pursuit needs to begin. To listen fanatically. Pursue His heart with all that you are. God, I pray that you would raise up a worship generation. God, a generation like David who would worship with abandon, who didn't care how ridiculous they looked or how uh, ridiculous they sounded. They would give their all to you no matter what. God, I pray just that, that you would raise up a people, God, beginning in this place, beginning in my heart and my life, a people that were unashamed of the gospel, that, 
that recognize that the world has nothing to offer. Like David said, it is a dry and desert land where there is no water. True and living water is found in Jesus. True and living water is found in the Holy Spirit. God, raise up a people who will pursue your heart, your presence, your glory. God, that we wouldn't get tired of prayer because we know the power of God is unleashed in prayer. We wouldn't get tired of gathering together because we know the encouragement of the saints and the building up of the church happens when we gather together. We wouldn't get tired of giving because we know you own it all anyways. And when we give, you outmatch, God. And I just I just thank you, God, for your love. I pray, God, you'd raise up a people whose hearts are overflowing flowing with the love of God because love is the mechanism. Love is the power that unleashes the miraculous in our lives, God. God, let our lives fit into the narrative of your story. I just thank you for who you are, Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Just in the next few moments, whatever's on your heart, whatever you need prayer for, Tony begins to sing. I'm going to encourage you to come forward for prayer. If you need healing in your body, we want to pray for you. If you need just a prayer for a situation in your life, we want to pray for you. If God's laid a word on your heart of encouragement. You want to encourage the church. Maybe you have a testimony to share. We've got the microphone down here. We can make that available to you. But for the next few moments as we pray and as we worship, respond to what God is speaking to your life and your heart. Maybe you need to surrender your marriage to the Lord. You need to surrender a child to the Lord. You need to surrender a relationship to the Lord and say, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to trust you. Give me the faith to be obedient to what you have called me to be. Whatever it is, you come and you will pray in Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.